You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak with Lena Licata about cybersecurity for businesses, where to assess risk, and how to secure your business. In addition to being an avid equestrian as an amateur, C1 steward, and manager for the Alumni Tournament of Champions, Lena Licata has worked in cybersecurity for over 15 years. Lena is a vice president in Blackstone's Technology and Innovations Group, specializing in governance, risk, and compliance on the cybersecurity team. Lena brings experience that includes public accounting, management consulting, and private industry for small business up through Fortune 500 companies. Prior to joining Blackstone, Lena was an information risk and security consultant. Her previous experience also includes serving in the pharmaceutical industry as an IT internal audit senior manager, as well as a manager in information technology advisory services at a big four accounting firm, where she was also involved with identity and access management remediation, vendor risk management projects, and internal audit co-sourcing engagements. Calling all equestrian businesswomen. Desert International Horse Park and equestrian businesswomen are hosting a networking night out for women entrepreneurs in the industry on Friday, March 8th from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. in the Palm Club. Join us for an incredible night to meet like-minded women and make connections. A ticket includes hearing from a panel of experts with a Q&A, a delectable dinner, along with wine and assorted beverages. Don't miss out on this one-of-a-kind opportunity at the EQBW Networking Night Out to foster your professional development and join our community. Buy your ticket today at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. So, Lena, we're really excited to have you with us here today um, and see you again after the networking brunch in Wellington. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I really thought this was such an important topic and we only kind of like touched a little bit at the networking brunch that we thought it was really important to have you come back on and talk about the cybersecurity field. So can you kind of tell us uh, how you got into cybersecurity and what kind of opportunities are available for people in this field? Sure. So I went to Lehigh University and I was dead set on being a marketing major. And I, after my sophomore year, I wanted to live in the city, New York City, have some fun. And um, I had two marketing internships, one at Sesame Workshop, where I was working on the HIV positive Muppet, which was really cool. Oh, wow. But that paid me $10 a day. And one for the a Joyce day, Th- a day, <laughs> one for the Joyce Theater, where I was in charge of their um, charity gala, um, going and sourcing donations, et cetera, which... I, I love that stuff. I don't mind reaching out, um, but that paid me $10 an hour. And at the end of that summer, I started reflecting because I, I could almost barely afford to eat. I have to say I was in the best shape of my life because the only thing I could afford were 
um, two for a dollar fifty eggplants, which I would grill on my George Foreman, and I would go for runs on the West Side Highway. And I've I've never been in that kind of shape in my life ever again. <laughs> um, you're actually eating food. And yeah, and I really took a reflection after that summer, and I was like, if you continue down this path, I was like, you are going to come out of college with all of these college loans and all of these debts, and yes, you will. You might love marketing but you are going to be very poor if you plan to live in New York city um, based on looking at the average salary uh, coming out in the early two thousands and marketing was about like 29 K um, and the average, I think like apartment fee was about like 24. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you take out taxes, I couldn't even afford to live in an apartment. Um, so I looked at the majors at Lehigh and what would help me add another major so I could get a better job. Um, and take the least classes as possible. And it was information systems. And so I thought, okay, well, that's, that's my path. And I was lucky enough to get an internship after my junior year uh, with Ernst & Young in New York City again, which paid way, 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 way more. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, this is it. Um, so then I, you know, I spent my career doing... Um, uh, some auditing for a while where I understand all the risks of, of cybersecurity. And then I went more into the management consulting side. Um, and now I work in-house and I support one specific company. So um, the opportunities right now are endless because the job security of knowing that people are going to be attacking companies and people and all of those things um, is great. Um, yeah. So, uh, I would definitely encourage people on their first try to potentially look into cybersecurity. And now, you know, back in the early 2000s, it there really wasn't cybersecurity as a major. Um, it was more just information systems and understanding how systems talk to each other and the controls and risks. Um, but now it's you. There's so many different ways you can go into the into the field as far as um, uh, actually like ethically hacking, um, being like a, um, an operations person, um, being a network security person, setting up firewalls, um, or doing sort of what I do, which is more on the, um, the compliance aspects of it. So I'm, I'm less technical than some of my coworkers. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I was going to say like, how much do you really need to know about computer systems and, and all of, all of that, the, the technology that goes behind it? Uh, it depends on what you want to do. So yeah. for, for what I do, it it matters more that I can understand how things work together and process. And a lot of times I'm bringing together business folks who don't know technology at all and super technical folks who like can't think their brain in another way. And I'm like, right. a, I'm like a translator. Yeah. Speaking still just one language but but putting it together for everybody so there's a little bit for everybody as far as like if you if you have that technical coding brain um versus if you have that more like process oriented brain cool that's really interesting yeah and can you talk about kind of what a day at work looks like for you uh i do a lot of talking <laughs> <laughs> um so for for me it's um, I need to understand the different regulations that our firm has to be compliant with. When I was in management consulting, I had to understand every regulation that was coming out um, and then understand like 
what exactly the regulator needs, what are the minimum requirements that companies have to have, um, and then going and working with the different people in charge of that. Like I, I was just on a call before this about a new regulation coming out of Singapore um, for business continuity planning. Um, and there was a component of it that, you know, we component of it we're absolutely doing. And then a component of it that I was like, oh, okay, I will reach out and get those. They want, the regulator wants like a specific certification um, that these vendors supposedly have. And we just need to go and collect them and make sure that they have them. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So it's a lot of talking and then it's evidence collection. Um, and then it's documenting for regulators. Like this is what we do. This is why we do it. And that evidence piece of it, it's not as sexy as it sounds. Um, <laughs> uh, my daughter asks me, asked me what I do. And I said that I keep, I keep companies out of trouble and I make sure that people follow the rules. Mm. Um, and it's funny cause she was like, well, what sort of rules do they break? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, not rules that you would think of as far as like, you know, everyday life. But I was saying, you know, if they, if they grant access to something and they didn't get a required approval, et cetera, I have to go make sure that every, you know, okay, you're not supposed to do that. You've got to do it this way. You've got to follow this process, et cetera. So in some ways I'm like a cop, but yeah. in a much safer way. Right. So, <laughs> behind yeah. a computer. Or yeah, on the phone. Behind a computer. Yes. I do not have to put my life at risk. I appreciate that they do. It's funny. I just had to go through the cybersecurity training for my company. You know, like we have to do the updates every year. And so we just went through it and, I was like, oh, yeah, probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also probably shouldn't just click, 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 click through it. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, oh, I better pay attention to this. One this. Yeah. I better not get myself in trouble for doing something. <laughs> but it's really funny because it's like, don't leave your password sitting out on your desk next to your computer. <laughs> you would be surprised how many people, like if we do an office sweep and we just sort of like, walk a couple floors and you're just like, come on people. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Funny story though, in management consulting, we had a client once that, um, the, uh, after hours help, um, like cleaning folks came and one of the guys stole, like took a picture of that post-it note and was able to get so close opening up a bank account under, cause it was the executive assistant who had the post-it note, but it was the password of the executive and was able to um, get so close in opening an account. And thank goodness the banker had the foresight to actually like call and ask because it was odd the way it was all happening. And they were able to say like, well, like what? No, we didn't open that account. And, and then they were able to trace it back and they went on the cameras and they saw the guy take the picture and yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's just not something you should ever do, really. <laughs> right. And and uh, you think about it like even in your own home if you're you, so many of us are working remote and probably think, "Oh, no, it's safe to put my stuff here, but how do you know you don't have somebody come over? I know they're your friends, but it's could be tempting and you just don't know or cleaning or even just like your plumber. Or, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I I live like, in an apartment. Yeah, I have an apartment, live in an apartment complex and we have a maintenance guy who, you know, would come in and fix. I have a light that needs to be fixed and I wouldn't be here when he comes in. So, you know, you have to think about that for sure. Yeah. So what kind of uh, 
risks do you need the people need to be asking about? Like, I think there are questions that they need to be asking about the risk. I don't think that sometimes I think people don't even know where to start and they don't know what they don't know. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think that the right place to start is, you know, what, what we call your crown jewels. So it's about understanding for you either personally or for your business, you know, what are you trying to protect? Um, And so oftentimes, you know, personally, it's your money. Like, why do we work to make money? (laughs) We should clearly protect that. Um, And for a lot of businesses, it's their customer data. Um, Or it could be if you have um, some sort of proprietary secret, you have some sort of elixir mix that, you know, whatever it is, the, the, Bush's baked beans recipe um, that's in all of the commercials, et cetera. So once you identify what your crown jewels are, then you want to identify, okay, so who has access to these? Like, where do I put my crown jewels at risk? So oftentimes um, if it's a larger company and they have employee lists, you have, you send your employee list and all of your PII out the door to your 401k provider, your health insurance provider, um, if you have big customer lists, but you ha- you're working with uh, a marketing firm, such as Jennifer Wood Media, you might send the entire customer list there. Um, you know, are you a- are your vendors adequately protecting that? Are they taking that Excel spreadsheet and are they just, you know, putting it on a laptop that they're going to leave at Starbucks and it's not encrypted and everything's at risk? Um, so the that's the first piece of it, and looking for who, who's getting your crown jewels and what they're doing with it and how they're securing it. So most of the larger companies that you would work with produce a SOC report. So it's a service organization control report where they will hire a third party to come in and look at all of their controls and say if they're operating effectively around general IT controls. So I always give the example, it's like ADP. So if everybody who used ADP went out and tried to audit ADP, ADP would not be able to do payroll because they'd be dealing with auditors all day long. So instead, they hire one auditor to look at all of their controls, and then they make that report available for all of their customers. And so a smart and savvy customer will go out and ask for that report. um, Because if that report is what they call qualified, that means it's no bueno. And they have some significant deficiencies, and it'll detail in the report exactly what controls failed, what failed, um, and in order to get a qualified report, you have to have multiple failures across multiple domains of either um, not backing up the data, um, not securing source code as it um, gets from development into QA into production, um, or just who has access to different data and not making sure that that's secure. Um, so that would be where I would start in that analysis of what's important to me, who has access to what's important to me, and are they properly securing it in the way that I would secure it, as well as taking like an internal look at yourself and saying like, am I securing what I care about in the way that I want to as well? Are there companies out there that would help people with these questions to make sure yeah. they're asking the right questions? There are a million consulting firms that work with different various sizes of business, small, medium, large, that will come in and look and ask you the right questions of, you know, what do you care about? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you do this? Um, So there is a questionnaire that's called the NIST. It's a government standard, N-I-S-T. 
853 that is that list of questions. So you can ask it to yourself um, and you can go through that. There's five domains of um, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. And so it makes sure that in the life cycle that you know you're protecting. And then if something were to happen, you're, you're not scrambling and you have a plan to get yourself back. And you know that people have either broken in or have done something with it. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times you may not even know that people have stolen something such as a, a contact list. It's so true. A lot of times um, bad actors will get in and then they just sit there and they just watch and they watch for what comes through to see what's how to best use you. Um, mm. Is it something that they want to steal and then they want to steal from the people that you care about? Is it something that they want to steal, let you know that they stole it and demand money to get it back? Mm-hmm. Um, or do they just want to use you as a feeder system in order to send out emails to right. make people more likely to fall victim? Like phishing scams and things? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I've I've actually had a doctor's office that um, had to shut down for a little bit because they had gotten hacked and it was in their phone system to their computer system and they were shut down for a while and it, they were um, there was like a ransom request to oh my gosh. give them back yeah it was pretty yeah bad. so if you properly back up your data meaning that you use a completely different source so if I have all my data on this computer that we're talking on today. And someone ransomware is this. I want to have another copy of everything that's on this computer somewhere else. So Mm -hmm. usually like a cloud provider. So that if someone just locks my computer and asks me for $10,000 or whatever, how much money in order to unlock it, I can say, I don't actually care. Like, take it, throw it away. I just fully wipe the computer back to 100% brand spanking new. And then I just download my backup and it restores me back to where I was. And that's how you can avoid sort of paying those schemes and having that comfort. But if you are doing that, you have to test it because the worst thing that could happen is if you say like, destroy it, I don't really care. And you go to download that backup and it's corrupt or (laughs) it doesn't have everything or you got a piece of it. So what you need to do is you need to have a second computer that's completely brand new and wiped and attempt putting it, putting it on there a couple times a year. Now, obviously a, a company would have servers and not computers and they would have, um, duplicate servers, or you'd be working um, with a cloud provider where you'd be in multiple availability zones and you'd be able to flip-flop back and forth. But I would recommend, one, making sure everything's backed up that you care about, but two, making sure that that backup works at least twice a year. And how about those external hard drives that people can purchase at, uh, like Staples or whatever? Are those just as good or you recommend more of a cloud-based backup? I think they're great, but in today's day and age, like the amount of that you would probably need to buy mm-hmm. um, in order to, you know, put th- that was the old school way that we all used right. to do. Yeah, um, and it's funny. I had companies that they would back up to tape, and then they would bring the tapes home at night. They would rotate who brought the tapes home, mm-hmm. so that <laughs> if there was a fire in the building, that that you know you could bring the tapes back in. <laughs> we had a fireproof safe. At one of the places that I worked, and the tapes would go in there every night when people remembered to do it. Though, yeah, Yeah. nobody really does that anymore. I mean, (laughs) you can, but it is so cloud storage is so cheap these days that it's so much easier. And and then it's expandable and contractable based on what you need. And the failover is so much quicker to 
with AWS be like, oh, it'll automatically just fail me from US East 1 to US East 2 versus like, shoot, all right, I got to plug this thing in and like right, figure right. out and download this stuff. And yeah. You have enough storage on it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So are there other places that the general public could can go to educate themselves more? I mean, I know you, you said that there's a list out there that they can get the NIST list, but is there something else? So mm-hmm. I really like, there's an, in, uh, called the SANS Institute. It's S-A-N-S. And it's, it's a little bit like cybersecurity for dummies. And they have like a bunch of, um, free webinars or free, um, brochures and things that you can read and white white papers etc um and then from there once you get a general knowledge if there's something that really interests you um there are so many companies that that provide a service or a software to solve that problem and on top of that they publish a million white papers and they have um all sorts of um free education webinars uh one that i personally love there's a company called proofpoint and they um, they host once a month their what they call the power series, and it's a different topic every month. And if you join and listen for the hour, and click the three, you know, questions the that they ask you as you go along, um, you can get continuing education credits, which is great for someone like me who works in the field and has to do that. Um, but they also send you something cool in the mail for for doing it. Like I got a Stanley water bottle thing i got like tumbler hair yeah like, <laughs> i've got like a winter hat I was like oh that's great in florida um <laughs> but yeah they they literally they they want you to learn so badly that they're willing to send you cool stuff <clears throat> to learn wow. that's awesome actually that's a really interesting way to get people to give feedback too like to interact mm-hmm. is to to give them that yeah, That's if you smart. answer all three polling questions and then you're one of the first thousand people at the end to like claim the gift, they mail it to you. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And, you know, as we talk about this, and I think we've we mentioned this at the networking brunch when you were on the panel, um, that there's different types of companies that may be more at risk. Um you know, ones that completely live online, perhaps, or ones that have e-commerce on their website, that sort of thing. Um, do you find that there's particular groups or or types of companies that are more at risk? Yeah, I think the more PII that you have, personally identifiable information, if you're storing, for some reason, social security numbers, um, if you're storing credit card information, if you, for some reason, are storing health information, I think for the most part, a question businesses, like, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a reason why we would have to have people's health information. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we might be a little lax in the equine industry with credit cards. It, it gives me, yeah. it definitely gives me pause when, mm-hmm. uh, like I just moved down here to Florida and I was filling out my new vet form and I was like, oh. Like they're asking me in a PDF to put my credit card in here. And it's like, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to do it because I know that they're going to store this credit card information on like a random shared drive in their information. They're going to put it in their system too. Great. But then they're not going to destroy this document. Um, but as much as I, well, one, I need the vet services. So I sort I have to play ball in some capacity. Now I could 
push it and call them and say, hey, I'm uncomfortable putting it in this PDF. But that person on the other end of the line, when I give them my credit card, is only just going to write it down on a post-it note and right. then put it in the PDF anyway. So it's like more of a global industry change that we need in, instead of like, you know, me championing and, and sort of yelling at them about it. But yeah. that gives me pause because I, I, I highly doubt they're going through the PCI compliance statutes to make sure that they're storing credit cards properly, et cetera. So the best way to do it is to use a company like Shopify Mm-hmm. Is going to be PCI compliant and then not taking credit cards <laughs> and telling yeah. people or sending them a link to wherever in Shopify so that you don't have it at all so that you can't lose it. Um, and then at least if Shopify loses it, they're a big company and they're going to have to do all sorts of breach response and they're going to owe you as part of your contract with them that they're going to do X, Y, and Z for all of your customers of credit monitoring and all that other stuff. Um, and yeah. so on your dime. Um, and you know, it's, it's hard for people to understand that, right? So even mm-hmm. for me, the way my company is doing it now, you have to log into a portal in order to set up. Like I can't do sponsorships anymore where I just, you know, give you my credit card. So you have to become a vendor. You have to sign up through a portal The they want to like ACH the money to you instead. And there's a whole process to it. And so many vet clinics or people that I sponsor for, don't want to do it or, you know, there's mm-hmm. resistance, there's serious resistance to that kind of process of that's doing the it. right way of doing yeah. it. Right? Yeah. They, they exactly. The company, they know that you're not as an employee frauding them and saying like, oh yeah, here, we're going to say I'm sponsoring this, but let's just like split this $10,000 check, et cetera. So that gets into like insider risk. So, you know, one of the newer components of cybersecurity that we're getting into is insider risk because as much as we know that there's all these people on the outside of the company that are trying to do bad things, there's also sometimes some people on the inside of your company that are trying to do bad things that are either leaving you to go to a competitor. So they're going to try and steal the customer list to try and take as much as they can with, with them. Or they, um, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I left a job up until I guess I've had my job for a while, I would take my whole hard drive with me off that computer mm-hmm. so that like, just in case I needed based on all those proposals I did for all those different companies I was marketing. At, I was like, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Like I'll just take it all with me. Um, it's technically theft. Um, and it's theft of, you know, proprietary information because when I worked at that company, those ideas that I put on those PowerPoints belonged to that company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now there's all sorts of monitoring in place, like you mentioned, where you have to, they have to sign up through a form. You can't just pay for things in the same way that if you try and send certain emails, there's software on top of your email that doesn't allow you to send 16 characters or the strings of a social security number to make sure that you're not putting that company at risk. Um, and then companies will have full insider risk teams that when you sort of trigger those um, bad actor rules, like, you know, you, you trick the line, they start monitoring. And mm-hmm. so they'll just put an agent on your computer. You don't even know. And then they'll start looking for what you're doing to see if you are trying to fraud the company or you just did something stupid. If you just did mm-hmm. something stupid and whatever, they might send you an email and be like, hey, reminder, you, you know, you can't send that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they monitor you and it looks like, you know, that's a repeat behavior. You could lose your job over it. Yeah. yeah. I also think a lot of companies um, and maybe the, 
this is outside the equestrian industry too, but so many of them I find are working on pretty small margins. Um, you know, like startup companies and entrepreneurs that don't have a ton of money. And if they're using these companies that are, um, I think you said PCI compliant, those a lot of those will take a cut of what you charge customers. So, you know, you're either losing money in those transactions or you have to charge more for your uh, products or services. And then, <laughs> you know, you're, you're different compared to your competition. But looking at the long view of it and what you could potentially be at risk for and responsible for, it's worth it in the long run to have these companies handling your financial transactions. Yeah. I look at it from the perspective of like, think about like a horse shipper, like everything from if you're talking about international shipping or whatever, that's all reputation, right? Like you're, I'm trusting you with like my family member, you know, (laughs) my pet, my amazing horse that I love. And if you were to, let's say, go down and you didn't know where my horse was because you had a massive global breach um, and you like lost where, you know, different horses were if you were a big enough shipper, like you're done. There are way too many different shippers in the industry that if you have a reputational risk that like you either didn't protect my horse properly or you like didn't know where he was, et cetera. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So I think that reputational aspect of it is something that people need to think about when they decide to accept risks by not going with a reputable firm in order to get that like little bit of margin. And maybe in the beginning when you're small enough, like that risk is something you want to take. But there's always that inflection point where you're like, okay, I'm growing, but am I am I acting like the size of the company I am or am I still acting like a mom and pop? Right? That's, I think, where we see a lot of... Um, companies in the equestrian industry not level up to the size that they are or the the amount of transactions that they have that's you know the volume because as an owner of those companies you know obviously if you've built it from the ground up you you know you want to be involved in everything but as you grow you have to start hiring and delegating and relying and then that all costs money Mm -hmm. Um, but hopefully you have the volume to support that and then you have the proper it folks the proper compliance folks the the, all the proper things right yeah and i think we talk about that a lot with entrepreneurs of you know when they decide they need to hire more staff or you know who do you bring on to help you um because at some point you're not going to be able to do everything and you you find the people who are good at what they do that can take on those parts of your business yeah and that this is a part of it i mean we've never mentioned it before in 63 episodes of this podcast (laughs) like we have never once talked about uh you know we've talked about people that come on and handle your bookkeeping or your social media or all of that but we've never talked about bringing someone on to handle this and it's really important because like you said either it puts your business at risk or your customers at risk and if your customers at risk then you you know they're not going to trust you um and they're not going to use you so yeah it's really important so i'm so glad we're talking about it yeah 
there were things I didn't even realize or think about. These are things that I, I haven't thought about in the past, you know, but you're probably seeing it now. Like you said, you took yes. annual cybersecurity training. Yeah. Like that's, that's, yes. like, that's a regulatory yeah. requirement. Like that's yep. why you're doing that. You're probably yeah. getting phishing tests in your email. That oh, hopefully yeah. you're noticing and not clicking on. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually I've never clicked on one, but I did have one of my friends who like is obsessive about opening all of the emails, and she <laughs> she got caught in it and had to do this whole additional extra training. training. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's my team at work that facilitates all of that. <laughs> so yes. you're responsible. <laughs> I'm responsible for that for some people. Yes. <laughs> you know what I was listening to recently, um, and it's sort of along the same lines. Uh, I was listening to on a podcast. They were talking about how their e-commerce site got in trouble for um, not having it like uh, disab like disability. It, they weren't following the Disability Act or something. Uh, they didn't put the, like proper notices. Notice or disability yeah, stuff. like mm-hmm. yeah. And they were saying they were talking about like firms who that's like like law firms, that's what they do is they find, they go through and look at websites. So I assume there's probably people who go out there looking to try and oh, yeah. you know, do this. And with you the have security to imagine part, right? that like there are certain specific countries that are way more involved in this than others. But you have to imagine that there are people that in the same way that like you got up and you went to work today and like you logged on and started doing what you do at a daily basis, their job on a daily basis is to run certain code that scrapes the web looking for certain deficiencies and certain holes. And then when they find it, then they like just go down the rabbit hole and figure out what they can get out of it. Like, but that's what they do for a living. And I'm sure that their compensation structure is probably partly based on like, if you think about like salary plus commission on like what you steal. And then there's like someone bigger, but like, imagine there's like, literally like you walk into your cube and sit down and like, but that's what you do. It's horrible. Yeah. Like we right. think it's horrible because you're stealing from people, but right. like that's how they're making a living. So like, yeah. And I, I, I think that sometimes we just live in a silo where we don't think about that. You know, yeah. and, and, and in sure. terms of, you know, it's somebody's job to do that. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. So like for people who, might think that they aren't at risk or it doesn't apply to them, which I feel like is probably a lot of people in the equine industry. <laughs> what, <laughs> what would you say to them to like convince them that this is something that's really important, that it really needs to be at the forefront of their planning, their business, their structure, what have you? I feel bad in saying this, but like karma sometimes just sort of take, takes care of this on, on our own. Um, when I was in management consulting for the mid-market, like middle-sized companies, um, oftentimes the most of the calls that we would get to come out and do these risk assessments to understand like what your cybersecurity risk is, where your holes are, like what you should do to make sure you're adequately protected were from someone on the executive team of this company was personally breached and had a lot of pain and potential money loss that they went through. And then they went in and was like, wait a second, if they could take me down, they could probably take this whole company down. So we should start looking at it. And it's like, because I would try and do sales of these risk assessments left and right to let's blue in the face. But the the best success I had was when I reached out to someone who was personally breached. So 
it can happen to you. Now, sometimes it happens to you and it's not a big deal. Someone charges a few things on your credit card. You call your credit card. You say somebody charged these things. They wipe it off and you're none the wiser. Other times um, it's, it's bigger and they can freeze things that you can't do things, especially like high net worth individuals can have a bigger impact. Um, mm-hmm. If you freeze cash flow or you take money, especially if you're taking things via wire, a lot of times you can't get those wires back because by the time you've realized you made a mistake, that wire has bounced eight times right. and we can only trace it four. And so, mm-hmm. sorry, that's gone. And you may only be protected up to a certain amount based on what your bank account rules are. And so you're only going to get, let's say you wired out $100,000 and you're only going to get 10 back. Like that, that hurts. Yeah. Um, and so from that perspective, so to be proactive and to be security minded and do like the basics, you're going to be in a better position than other companies who are not doing the basics. And that person who comes into work that day and runs that scan across, across the web and it pings and they get that person. Or if you're, you know, doing the basics of at least backing up your data, if something does happen to you, you're prepared to recover. Mm-hmm. I know that I asked you this at the brunch, but what do people who have brick and mortar have to worry about most for in terms of cybersecurity? And so w- most brick and mortars also have an online store. It just pulls from the brick and mortar. So there's that component of making sure that whatever e-commerce site that you have, it's properly protected and that you've done vulnerability scans against it or had someone ethically hack and tell you the holes you need to fix. But I also think about it. I took a, I took a gap off of in working um, in 2013 and I worked at a tax store for the discount. I like to say I spaved a lot of money that year. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think my paycheck, although it did deposit into my account, ever covered what I spent in the period <laughs> in which I made it. But um, really fun time in my life. Um, but it was interesting because the point of sale system that we had, um, it was software based and we each had our username and passwords. I'm pretty sure half of them were written down on the computer screen there. And I'd be like, guys, it's probably not the best idea. Or like, they never changed them. So if you knew an employee that was no longer there, you could log into their account and you could do things under their account and you could give special sales to people. There was also a generic account on that point of sale system. And so whenever you know you wanted to clearance out something or something was on the sale rack and you know, you wanted to give them an extra discount, you would just do it under the generic account. Um, so no one knew what was done. We did it. So it's it's a great idea to lock down those point of sale systems and your retail employees to make sure that there are certain controls so that you know who's doing what, what discounts they're giving, what sales they're giving, when cash leaves that till, um, et cetera. Yeah. So that's one thing I don't think people think about, but there is, there's a decent amount of like, it's not theft, but like it's theft. Like, right. If yeah. you think about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There, something's more putting it a certain off, way. They give it to somebody for 75% off. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, people did it all the time. Oh yeah. I, I worked at a pet store when I was in college and they used to do that all the time. Like the manager would do that. He'd oh, yeah, the manager like, would oh, like, here, give me $5 for this dog food. That's 50. <laughs> 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 And I know that um, we also talked about this uh, at the networking brunch, 
but what does a secure business look like? And, you know, how do people know exactly what, you know, checklists they should be going through to get their business to that point? Yeah. So I think, I think it's following, well, I'll go over the basics. So um, there's uh, what you call IT entity level control. So that's thinking holistically about your business, coming up with certain policies, acceptable use for your employees, um, logical security controls, uh, all the, all the different categories I'll go through, making sure that there's policy on all of those things. So people know what to do, when to do, what the right things to do are. And that's sort of what they call also like management tone at the top. So by saying to people like, Hey, you can't log into generic accounts and I'm going to pull a report every week on that POS and look at everything that was in the generic and everybody's going to have to pony up and tell me exactly who did one of these accounts or you're all getting fired, what, whatever that, you know, that tone at the top. Then there is um, what you call it change management. So if you are, if you have any sort of proprietary software that you've developed, making sure you're using good um, software development lifecycle controls so that whoever is developing the software is not the person who is managing it and operating it in, um, in production and that there's testing in between. So there's a movie, I'll date myself. Um, oh God, what's it called? Anyway, it goes through it, Office Space. So if yes. you are <laughs> 30s, 40s, you might remember this movie. If you are yeah. younger than that, you probably won't. But it's anyway, just pennies, it's just pennies. It's just pennies. <laughs> yes, so the premise of the movie is the guy makes a change to the software because he has access to do it, that rolls the back end of the pennies into his own personal bank account. And he comes in the next morning expecting there to be like a couple hundred bucks in the account. And there's like a million dollars or something. And then he's backtracking, like knowing that he's going to get fired. And the whole premise of the movie is, is about it. So if that company had had the proper controls in place to make sure that not any one single person could make that change and that there were what they call four eyes on it, meaning I look at it and you look at it, it never would have happened. And then we wouldn't have had a great movie. Anyway, um, I tell I tell like our college graduates all the time, like you got to go look at this like early '90s movie. It'll yeah. explain everything. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, so you get it on VHS somewhere. <laughs> um, anyway, okay, I digress. The next thing is about access. So, who has access to what? Whether that's access to the point of sale system, access to the website, access to change your website, change your prices, access to um, the customer list or whatever those crown jewels are that we talked about before. Um, and then the third piece is backup and recovery. So making sure that you're backing up whatever you're using or that whatever vendor you're using also is backing up your data. Can you imagine if you kept all your customers and all your orders and everything at Shopify and they were like, oh, sorry, we didn't have a copy of that. Um, like that would be horrendous. Um, and making sure that, that that works. So if it's a vendor, you want to get confirmation from them that they have those basic controls in place. If it's you, you want to put those basic controls in place. So that's that's what I would call a secure company, but that's like just scratching the surface. Yeah. And you mentioned this before, but um, depending on on what it is that you're checking on at least twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that like disaster recovery piece um, where you want to mm. make sure you're, I wouldn't back up your data twice a year. I would back up your data every day. <laughs> I right. have some sort of like automatic system that just runs and it incrementally updates like what's not up there. But I would check and make sure that that backup properly recovers twice a year to know that if you need it, it's not just it corrupted six months ago and you have no idea and you're just incrementally adding to this corrupt file. 
Yeah. Um, and I do have a random question because it came to me at the brunch and I never got to ask it. So if you don't know, that's fine. But um, for people who get their social media accounts hacked and then held for ransom, is there anything you can do for that? Besides the like, you know, two two factor. Uh, yeah, multi factor authentication that. is important. It's also if you have the, the, a business account. So again, like in a regular, like we're a small mom and pop. We just made an Instagram account, and like the four of us know the password. Way less secure than okay. I'm gonna go through Instagram for business, and I'm gonna properly set this up, and everyone's gonna have their own individual logins. Mm-hmm. Um, there probably are on that business end of it. I haven't explored it, but I have to assume that Instagram for business or Facebook for business would have the ability to back that up um, so that you, because it's not one login. If there's multiple logins and somebody else just logs in or you just tell Instagram like cancel, you know, Jen's account because she got hacked and we're, we're dealing with something here. Mm-hmm. But, so then, you know, sometimes it does pay to, pay for the business version of something, even though, you know, as a small business, you're like, well, if I just use it as personal, then I don't pay them anything. Yeah. Cause I, I did see or, and hear about a bunch of, um, of companies, you know, once you hit kind of that 10,000 follower mark though, that's when they start targeting you, um, like 10 to 50,000 were the most popularly, um, hacked accounts. And, yeah, they wanted a lot of money to get your account back. And most of them weren't willing to pay that and had to start over from scratch and build that audience again. But if you think about it, 10 to 50,000, that's probably exactly what we were talking about, where you have reached a size, but you're not Mm -hmm. acknowledging where you are and that it might make sense to make a small investment to Mm -hmm. avoid a larger loss. Yeah, for sure. Just another example of proving your point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I have to say the that two authentic the authentication, the the dual. Oh man, every single program for my work is yeah. dual authentic authentication. No, it's like because everything you that you use now. and you're external. Yeah. So you yeah. are a giant risk. Yeah. I, yeah. and it's like <laughs> I have to make sure that I have my phone near me in order to get to be able to log into my computer and do anything. It's, I get it. It can be a headache. We didn't have that on phones because we just had Blackberries and they would issue you these tokens. And I used to have a keychain hanging off my work bag with like three. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I had one of those for my business account. Every time I had to log in, I had to have my little thingy that showed me the number. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy that we actually had, um, uh, we, we, we have a couple people at work that we considered high risk enough that we went out and, and, and got some of those tokens. Um, because like, God forbid their phone, like, if you think about like what, what they have access to that, we were like, Oh, this is even safer. So like, go back. Like, let's step back in time here. Yeah. Um, even safer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Something you have and something, you know, yeah. Something you have is the number on the phone and something, you know, is your password. Um, but yes, the worst thing that someone could do is when you get those texts um, that you give it to someone else. So right. 
people will text you and be like, oh, I'm from your bank. We need to know this secure number and people will give it out. Mm. It's crazy. Mm. It's crazy that people will be like, oh, sure. Here you go. Like, ah, yeah. that was, that was the control. That was the control. Like, that was one thing. Sure. They already had your password. They knew what you knew. But then there's something you have with like the last piece. <laughs> Can kind of talking about that, are there laws around this that people should be aware of, that they should know of, that protects them or protects their business or just in general? Their clients. Yeah. Their clients. So from a business perspective, people need to be aware of um, GDPR, so global data privacy, that's European. If you deal with European customers, um, even one, if you have one European customer in your database, you have to be, uh, you are subject to GDPR. And if you lose that one customer's information, um, there are massive fines, like put you out of business fines. Um, and so you need to make sure that you are securing that data, that you give people the option to opt out and that you will delete all of their data, et cetera. Um, California piggybacked that rule um, in the California privacy rule that came out. So if you have California customers, so if you are, nationwide, you probably have California customers. Also, if you have California employees, there's a whole nother piece of that that you have to treat them differently. Um, New York um, has gotten a couple of things, um, but mostly around financial services from the New York DFS laws. Um, but, you know, Congress came out, God, I want to say like 15, 20 years ago that made all of our credit cards and um, debit cards and uh, gift cards better. But that's, that's old news. Because um, it used to be that if you would go get a gift card, like let's say you go get a Starbucks gift card, like after three to six months, they used to be able to just like take pieces out of it, but they, they got rid of that. So your, your $50 gift card is now your $50 gift card, whether you've spent it in three to six months or not. Um, but it used to be they could like take money of that, which was just bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feeling from you. And there's also pretty strict laws around, um, you know, email lists and what you can and can't do with them and sharing them and you can't sell them and that sort of thing. Right. So, you know, if you do have that list, if you're emailing all of your customers uh, regularly with, you know, sales emails and things like that, you have to be really aware of those. Yeah. And you have to give people unsubscribe and opt out and all of those, you know. Right. And, and I think that people might not be aware of that, like in even in the equine industry, if you have a website and you have Europeans that are contacting you and you're building a newsletter list or something, those are things that you ha really have to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially because equine is so big in Europe yeah. that like, I would assume that that flows pretty well across and we're probably less well known on GDPR than we should be. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, we've talked a lot about security, but what kind of scams do you think people need to be aware of right now? The new the new kid on the block is the QR code um, scams. It's it's the same phishing scam, but it's using QR codes now that someone will send you like, oh, scan this, and then when you then when you scan it, um, they'll either take data from you or they'll ask you to fill out a form and they'll take your data. Um, and then the two big ones that are just so prolific that have been around for way too many years for how successful they still are um, would be ransomware. So you click on something and it encrypts your hard drive. And if you are connected to a greater network, it can 
move laterally and take down an entire company from one person's wrong click, which is why you want to segregate your network if you're a larger company. Um, and then the other component is credential phishing. So you'll get an email. <clears throat> it looks like your bank or UPS or whoever. Um, and then it'll ask you for various different data or ask you to log in to something and then they take your credentials and then they send you that lovely text to, to ask you for that six digit code. Um, and then they just take your money from there. So, yeah, I, I was listening to a story the other day of some girl who it, it came on her thread, her text thread from the bank that, you know, something was going on and she gave them all of her information instead of calling the bank and checking it and lost like, like 10 or $20,000 yeah. out of a savings account because she gave them the information and they would be like, Oh, what about this? What about this? And they told her that they not to log in for 24 hours because of whatever they were doing. And yeah. Cause they, they, they want to make sure they get it all fixed up for you. Yeah. You know, exactly. but in reality, all yeah. they did was keep you out of it to realize they were taking all of your money. Right. And by the time you log in to look at it, it's gone and it's made all of those lovely hops. So that yeah. you can yeah. So I, I know it's um, pretty wild. I mean, I didn't get scammed. Well, I do know my husband got scammed, but um, that's a different story. But this one, I somebody tried to scam me from Facebook because they actually said, like, posed as one of my friends who was like, and, and it wasn't out of the norm. It was like, Hey, Jen, what's your email address? I got to send you something. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's this. And then they were like, Oh, hey, like a code came through and I need some help. And I was like, stop scamming people. Or <laughs> now, now you'll get these random texts that just say hi. Yes. Uh, and half the time I delete them and other times I'll be like, hey, I'm so glad you texted me. Could I borrow $1,500? And then they just don't. And it's like, yeah. oh, wh weren't you going to ask me that question? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. they just stop and then you delete it. But yeah. Well, I will I will tell you the story about my husband getting scammed. He uh, was looking for jobs and had applied to something at LinkedIn, on LinkedIn. And somebody came back and did an interview like over the computer. It was like two or three interviews, what have you. And then they're like, okay, we're going to hire you, but you need to go and buy uh, an Apple card and you need to put money on it and you need to do this and that. And like, he like, cause we need to send you the equipment, but you have to buy the equipment, whatever it was. He totally believed it. And I think they probably got like at least $2,000 out of him before he realized like it was a total That's scam. A it was so bad. Right. But you know, it, it was a good lesson. And now I see when you go and buy gift cards and things like that, they like have this whole thing that's like, beware of scams. If somebody's asking you to get this and purchase something for them and give them the numbers, do not do that. It's a scam. And, you know, but I always think about that because yeah, he did. He totally got scammed and it was, it, it was several years ago. Major red flag. Yeah. The minute that someone asks you to pay them with a gift card, it is nope. <clears throat> right. Like, yeah. Even for tickets, tickets online. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Well, there's fake tickets everywhere, but it's just horrible. Um, yeah. yeah, that is a that is a major, major, major red flag. You, ne no, you never pay someone a gift card. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. And I was like, 
yeah, I know you're smarter than that, but you know, it came through LinkedIn. Like he, and he even like complained to LinkedIn and eventually they found out that somebody had pretty much copied somebody else's profile from a business and, you know, acted like that person. And so anyway, it was super unfortunate. That's horrible. Yeah. yeah. That's why whenever you go to, um, I know that I use Zelle, um, mm. on my bank account and every time I go to pay someone via Zelle, they're saying like, are you sure you definitely know this person you yeah. want to send money to? I was like, yeah, yeah. Stop. <laughs> yep. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So here at the end of the podcast, we wanted to talk to you a little bit more about, um, your equine background and kind of talk about your passion project that you've talked about with me. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about that. That's so nice. Um, yeah, so I, I've been riding since I was nine. I will be 42 next, next week. Um, and thank you. Um, <laughs> I, are they really happy birthdays in your 40s? No. Um, no. Um, and I was always just like a backyard rider. Like, um, it wasn't until, um, I got to college that I met one of my very good friends who I actually just saw in Wellington um, this past weekend who like grew up actually really doing, uh, you know, the, the A circuit and had a super fancy horse and would fly down to Wellington and all these things. And like, I didn't even know it existed. Um, and that she hooked me up with, um, with Amel when we graduated Lehigh and I was living in the city and wanted to start riding again. And um, I was part of the Redfield family until six months ago when we moved to Florida and um, and now I ride at Eastwind with uh, the Morrissey's and it, it was, it's been such a change for me over the years. And my poor husband, you know, growing up, you know, just like a backyard kid taking lessons here and there um, and horse showing. And now it's like, wait, what? It costs what? Wait, you want to, you want to leave something? You want a horse show? We're, we're going to buy something? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Lena, at what point does it stop being more expensive? And I said, I don't know. I haven't hit it yet. Yeah. <laughs> Never is the yeah. answer. Never. I, I have a rule. The first rule of my marriage is we don't talk about horse expenses. Oh, it's so smart. Yes. Yes. I, I he's, it, and that's, that's the way he operates. He's like, honestly, if, as long as you can cover your expenses with your job, he's like, I'm not even sure I want to know. And I was like, that's great. Yeah. 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 Just enjoy um, looking at the pretty animal. Yes. But so that's where my collegiate riding comes into play and why, why it means so much to me is that I learned so much. I horse showed more in the, probably the four years of college than I ever did going into college. Um, and the team was such a support system for me. Um, and so I just, I really loved it. And then I showed alumni um, when I first graduated from school to just keep my butt in the saddle because I was living in New York City. I didn't really have any way of doing it. And I could take a train out to the IHSA horse shows and the Lehigh equestrian team would literally like pick me up and drop me back off at the train. <laughs> and I would still see them and I would ride these shows and it like, you know, it just kept it all alive for me. And so um, when so I became an alumni representative when they needed someone um, to sort of run that stuff because I loved it. And um, another one of the alumni reps reached out to me in 2012 and said, like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we like scrimmaged my alumni against your alumni? I was like, oh, that would be fun. And um, that's how the first alumni tournament of champions was held. Um, and then people were like, this was so much fun. You should invite more people. So then we we're like, oh, OK, we'll just whoever wants to come can come. And we put a little prize list together and then 
quickly within like two or three years, we had added Western. We had over a hundred people coming and I was like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just so fun. And we've had so many great supporters and like, there's something about just watching that smile on people's faces when they <clears throat> nail it and get that big ribbon and that bottle of champagne. And like, so you know, I just, I just love that aspect of it. There's always a couple of people that ruin it for you every year that complain, but then there's enough people that like have an amazing time and that makes it all worth it. And then last year, um, Peter Cashman and uh, Kelly Frankfurt from the IHSA came out and they were like, we're going to focus the IHSA on our undergraduate writers. But since you guys are already in the alumni space, like, why don't you just take on all the alumni stuff? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, I need something else on my plate. Um, yeah. So we, um, the national director of alumni in IHSA, Tammy Granowski, came over and worked with us. And um, that's when we became a 501c3. And we um, just said, okay, we're going to give it a try. Um, so we've held over 40 horse shows this year. Wow. Uh, the country. Um, if you know of any lesson barns in uh, Zone Six IHSA, which is like the Kentucky area, we need some partners. Uh, the Virginia area, we actually need partners, and California. Um, just any schooling show can host our like AE classes. I like to say it's like Marshall and Sterling. You know, like you yeah. can do Marshall and Sterling classes at any horse show yeah. in the country, and then that horse show just pays five bucks back to Marshall and Sterling. Yeah, and then the riders collect points. So in our case, they collect AEE points. And then um, starting in April, there'll be zone horse shows. Um, and then the top X from zones, it depends on how many people make it to zones, um, will go to nationals, which will be held at the Alumni Tournament Champions. So anyone who ever rode in the IHSA, regardless of what you're doing now, um, please be in the saddle so that you are safe, can come ride at ATOC. Um, that's in June uh, at Gladstone. Um, and then anyone who showed throughout the year as part of AE can qualify for nationals there as well. And we have really big ribbons, amazing sponsor prizes. Um, you can win champagne, um, which is super fun. And some of our cup classes and coolers and all that great stuff. So, That's and so cool. thank you to Alliant private client who keeps us solvent by title. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting because Jen and I are both uh, IHSA alumni from University of South Carolina before they went to the NCEA. And I don't know about you, Jen, but I've never shown alumni. Um, I haven't, no. You can I've never. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no, I could, but I yeah. cannot. <laughs> <laughs> You can come, pick out of a hat, take that lovely horse, and uh, go for it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't it's know. Fun, though. People will do yeah. that. Like, they'll hear about it, and then they'll be like, oh, my God, all right, I'm going to call my friends from college. And they'll get, like, all of a sudden, one year, I'll have, like, eight people from one school that I've never seen before um, <laughs> put in entries, and they'll come and, and, and do it. So Maybe I have to talk to Maria about it. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, we'll have to get all of our old teammates back together. And yeah. uh, <laughs> that's the whole that's point of it is like yeah. creating those memories, getting you back in saddle. And even if you come alone, like you don't have your teammates come, we like match you with other people. So you have people to like walk the course with and, oh, cool. and do it. So, yeah. 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 And but at the shows where you're like gaining points, you have to bring your own horse, right? No. 
So that's why it's been a little bit harder to find the partner. So that's why we, mm -hmm. we've been partnering with um, a lot of barns that already either have a collegiate program or they have an IEA program or they right. just like have less than horses. So yeah, you can make a good chunk of money holding these horse shows because you can charge up to 60 bucks. So if you have like four or five lesson horses and in an hour, just think about a flat class is 10 minutes and then like another like 10, 15 minutes to have five alumni jump around for two minutes over two foot. They're very small fences. We like to keep it safe um, and charge 60 bucks a class. It's like an easy, quick 500 bucks in an hour on a Saturday morning. So. Mm. Wow. That's cool. Big plug if anyone yeah. has lesson horse yeah. Horse. <laughs> yeah. We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize you could, do it without your own horse. So that makes it even more enticing, I'm sure, for so many people that haven't been regularly in the sport for a long time. Yeah, you can come back to it, just do the flat class for a while, get yourself, go take some lessons at that right. barn, get to know those horses. So that barn yeah. also then gets a lesson person and yeah. then, you know, graduate and start doing the fences again. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you about your work and your passion. Um, and like the sheer amount of advice that everyone will get from this is um, really, really helpful. So we appreciate um, you coming on and uh, helping us and walking us through that. Thank you. And at the end of each episode, we ask the same four questions to each guest and Connor starts with the first. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Ask for what you want. Um, I, I, maybe everybody says that, but I feel like as women, we don't, um, we assume people's going to, people are going to notice, like people are going to see that I'm working hard and then I deserve a raise. People are going to see that I'm overworked and then I need a break and everyone is too busy to see what you need and you have to ask for what you want. And if you don't, the answer is already no. I, I agree with this so much. And I've even experienced in it in my life and made decisions to leave places because I was upset that I didn't think that they were recognizing my, how hard I was working. And so you're so right. I mean, I've heard it so many times, but also now I look at it and I'm like, Oh, going forward, I definitely ask for what I want. And I, have I, an had, idea. A, I had a female partner when I worked at EY, um, Carolyn Buckloose. She was an amazing, amazing speaker. And she would speak on this all the time. She would say like, Men walk in to, to their boss's office and they're like, look what I did. Isn't this great? And then the people, then the boss is like, oh, so-and-so is doing that. And women are like, yes, he's going to notice. Look what I did. And, and, but like. They yeah. never telling them. Yeah. They, yeah. they don't. And using it as a reason to say, this is why I deserve X or Y. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? I'm a gym rat. I'm a big CrossFitter. So I am in the gym for an hour or two every morning. And wow. that, um, that gives me the energy to go all day, not past like seven or 8 PM, but, um, <laughs> but I'm pretty good all day. And yeah, if I don't get it in the morning, it's not happening. So, um, but yes, I think moving your body, um, and just making sure that everything is like working is the best thing I can do to keep myself sane. What kind of anxiety? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of wake up call is that? It's actually not that bad. Um, uh, there's, there's days that it's like six or seven, but then there's other days it's like eight 30, depending on what my work calendar looks like. Oh, okay. That's doable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I broke my body doing, doing CrossFit. 
I had to back off to going to more of a personal trainer. So I'm too competitive. That's the problem. I was going to say it, it was probably your ego that broke you more than anything. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I, I know that feeling where you're like, oh, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Jen can tell you. <laughs> her, I bought popcorn for her son's baseball team and I was like looking at the standings about where he was. And then I called my husband and made him buy popcorn. And then I was like, wait, I don't think we're going to get there. He needs to be in the top three. So I bought more popcorn. <laughs> what did you do with all this popcorn? I gave it to my husband and he took it to work. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Like, we, we got to be in the top three at least. And I'm sending it to like everybody I know, friends, families, neighbors, and you know, like, I don't know, seven, eight people buy popcorn. And I'm like, how the hell does he have this much popcorn sold? And then I look by person. I'm like, Connor, I spent like three that much money on popcorn. I spent like 300 bucks on popcorn. That's amazing. <laughs> nuts. That's a true friend right there. That is, that is a, a thick and thin friend right there. Yeah. So I like to call us dinks. We're dual income, no kids. <laughs> so like I live for wow. that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right, if my if my if my daughter ever becomes a Girl Scout, I know where I'm. I'm yeah, where absolutely. I'm yeah, you're Hit sending the link to Jen. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's Especially known. if there's a, a list online, she can look and see where <laughs> yeah. it ranks. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite horse movie? You know, I, when I, I um. I'm going to have to say my friend Flicka. I don't remember why. <laughs> I don't remember the story, but I remember as a kid watching it with my parents, like on the couch in front of the fire and just like having really good memories about it. Uh -huh. Like I should probably Google it and re-remember it because it, it yeah. like warms my heart to think about the movie, but I couldn't even tell you the story. <laughs> <laughs> and who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? Susan Isaacs. So uh, she owns Tailored Sportsman. Yep. And I have to think, I want to pick that. I want to pick her brain on like how she has stayed relevant for so long. Because yep. if you think about like when you got your first pair of Tailored Sportsman, like uh -huh. I, I was a young kid. I remember I treasured them because I only had one pair. Because I 30 mm -hmm. years ago, I can tell you. It was yeah. like 30 years ago. Yeah. Before I have so many questions about breeches these days and why they are so stinking expensive and why mm -hmm. they don't hold up the way that my tailored sportsman's did. <laughs> and so I have lots of questions yeah. <laughs> and why can't anyone just go back to the, the suede knee patches so that these little stickers they put on them that don't last and look like crap six months later, but I paid $800 for a pair of breeches. <laughs> like uh, something has to change. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm an angry consumer. Yeah. <laughs> <It's not> answers. <laughs> yeah. I'm not spending $800 on purchase, though. Just a caveat. That was, that was a wild number. No. Yeah, you just pulled that out of the air. Yeah, I know, but I'm not. I, I can't. But honestly, that's not that far off, I don't think. No, it's, it's not that really far not. off, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about any of what I'm spending on purchase. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, it's really been a pleasure talking to you today. Um, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much. It was so fun. Hey, Equestrian B2B podcast listeners, ready to level up your biz? Ride Every Stride specializes in tailoring brand identities for equestrian businesses. From logo development, essential stable accessories, and custom product branding to exclusive awards, VIP event must-haves, and chic apparel, 
they've got you covered. Visit rideeverystride.com. Use code B2B15, that's B2B15, at checkout for an exclusive 15% discount. Elevate your brand with Ride Every Stride, supporting women in business and equestrian excellence. I'm so glad that Lena reached out to us before the brunch and was able to be on the panel. And now we've gotten her on the podcast because not only is she incredibly good at her job and explaining her job and how it relates to everyone and all types of businesses, but she's just a cool person. And um, like we often say on this podcast, like, I want to be friends with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I know. Enjoyed her thoroughly. I was so fortunate because the night before the networking brunch, we went to dinner. Uh, she and her friend had invited Michelle and I to go and sit at the table at Wellington during the Grand Prix with them. And we had so much fun and she had such interesting stories and just, we all connected so well and it was a great time. And so I was so happy that yes, she had reached out to us, but then that we were able to have her as a follow-up on the podcast because we really needed to dig in more. I and mean, there's only so much you can do when you have somebody that's on a panel and can mm-hmm. answer so many questions and so much time. And I feel like people really had questions and a lot of it was like, they didn't even know where to start. Right to think about cybersecurity. And I I have a really funny, relatable story too, because a while ago I had my own website and I don't have it anymore, but it was always asking me about the GDR or PR, whatever she was talking about, the European. And it kept saying, if you don't do the compliance. And I was like, I don't even know what this means. Go away. Like, shut up. Like, I have no idea. Like, and I mean, I really didn't have any information. I mean, I had two people that had signed up for my mailing list and I never did, you know? So, and then I shut it down, but now I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, good thing it didn't take off. Cause I kept being like, I have no idea. Click. No, click. No. Like, I don't want to upgrade. Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's things like that. Like you said at the beginning, like you don't know what you don't know. And I feel like so many people just kind of ignore this part of their business uh, because it seems really daunting um, to try and think about how to protect yourself and your clients. Um, But she really broke it down into kind of easy steps uh, to start with. And you know, there's very basic things that you should be doing and you should be protecting yourself. And that's a great way to start. And if you can find, you know, a company that um, is helping you assess risk or finding the holes in your security, then from there, you can kind of go further into what else needs to be done. Or as you grow, you find you need more security in certain parts of your business. So, um yeah it's so important and i just i find it amazing that we've never talked about it before uh and there's so much to it and how important it is yeah we've i don't think it's ever crossed my mind that this would be a good topic until she brought it to our attention and then i was like oh yeah like this is so relevant <laughs> and and i i don't know i feel like um just in the equine industry, we don't think about those things that it could be a risk. We think that we don't, well, we keep people's information. Like we don't think of it like that. 
in the business. I think it's just one more example of how we don't necessarily run a business like a business here. Um, we run it off of passion and trust. And I don't know that those are things that we necessarily are good business practices. I think you need to For protect sure. yourself, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that um, one thing about like the cybersecurity is that it's in, it's in all different parts of the business, you know, yes. from, and it affects you personally too. So you should be asking questions. And I even liked how she was saying that like having an IT person and I'm like, you know what, like it might not be a bad idea for somebody to think instead of letting me go spend dollars towards marketing, let me go spend my dollars initially towards this, uh, a tech, somebody in tech that can help me make sure this is set up properly uh, because I think it's so important. Yes. And, and, you know, in the long run, um, if you are, if you're going to have that longevity of your company, you need it. Um, because, you know, one of the biggest points I thought she brought up was reputational risk yes. and yep. how important that is to, and especially in an industry like ours that truly is very small very connected by word of mouth, very reputational. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's so important and you can't lose the, that trust of your clients because it is extremely hard to get back. Um, especially in this industry. And we have to think too about that while this is a small industry, there's a lot of wealth in this industry. And you exactly. don't know, you don't I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Like you don't know who you might be affecting if you put your clients at risk and that client list, because there are wealthy people who are famous people who are involved in this. And if you're not securing inform their information, their information. For, yeah, you're putting a huge group at risk and bringing, you know, attracting not great things to this industry. Yeah, I thought the same thing, you know, and I meant to bring that up when we were talking to her because of that, you know, whether it's client information, though, the way that bad actors could get through to them through right. your business, for sure. Yeah. And not only, you know, you may say like, oh, my business isn't very big, like who would want to steal from my business? Well, maybe they don't. They want to steal from your customers who have right. a heck of a lot more money. Yeah. And then you know, is, are you putting your entire business at risk? Because if, if you didn't protect your customers and these customers have bottomless pockets for lawyers and they come after you right. for putting them at risk, then you could lose your company that way. So, um, yeah, I, it really puts it at the forefront of my mind of how much it's, it's needed and how necessary it is. Um, and even just, you know, starting with the basic steps and yeah, I, I don't think it has to cost an arm and a leg, but no. having the awareness and doing a few things to start with will, you know, like she said, of backing up to the cloud and, yeah. and making sure the backup works. Like mm -hmm. that's easy stuff. That's, yeah. you know, if you're spending an hour on, your bookkeeping and making sure QuickBooks is there, then you could spend a half an hour a week or a month on backing up your information and checking to make sure that everything is there and working properly. 
Yeah. And I think it's um, similar to when we talked about bookkeeping, where you put it on the schedule and that's what you, you look over and everything, put it on the schedule, have it the same day or whatever, every single week, month, whatever you're comfortable doing to make sure that you're you're up to par and checking to make sure that it's working for you. Mm -hmm. So I think and one, easy steps. Yeah. And I think one thing um, that also struck me was knowing who has access to things in your business through yeah. like employees and, and vendors. Um, and, you know, we always want to feel like we can trust our employees and we know them or we're friendly with them or we hire friends or work with friends. And, yeah. you know, it's just putting those things in place to track who's doing what and who has access to what is so important because like, you know, your friend may be great and has access to the business bank account, but if somebody steals their password and... Right you know, gets in, then you, you want to be able to track it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know. She just made me think of so many things. I'm like, Ooh, what about this and this and this? Like there's so many ways to yeah. compromise. <laughs> I mean, in this day and age, it's like she said, somebody's job to do it. Yeah. So we have to be even more careful all the time about how we're, we're sharing things. And believe me, there's nothing more aggravating than when I am trying to log into my computer <laughs> and yeah. I have to do 32 different steps to do it. I get it. But at the same time, I don't want to be held liable for something happening in my company if yeah. I make the wrong move. So, you know, and, and who knows how deep that can go to be held personally liable for for mm -hmm. things happening. So yeah, I, I don't want to see people get scammed. And I think that we need to really start paying attention to this in yep. all aspects of our life. Yeah. It was a great conversation. And yeah. like I said, I really like her. It was cool to hear also about, you know, what she does on the side <laughs> apart yeah. from her very big and important job. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, she just runs a major horse show uh <laughs> yeah all the, but, and, and, everything. and that and it's I mean, growing yes and let's let's think about like we know the logistics of running an ihsa show when we yeah. used to have them have them at the barn and the horses that you have to have and the people that you have to have and all the things it might be a little easier now because there are so many iea teams out yeah. there and you know you can work together with them to get horses and people and what have you. But man, I remember those early mornings getting there and having to tack up horses and stand there all day and, you know, rotate around. And so like good on her for being able to do it all and just continue to grow it. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 It's a really cool so, opportunity. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was really good. I really, really enjoy her. And you and I have a lot of planning to do because we've got some big things coming up. So you're going to find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review so more people can find us. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now, go assess your cybersecurity risk. Oh.